Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Well, it was one hell of a day today in the financial markets. Really, really a crazy day. And uh, I'm not necessarily talking about the equity markets. I'm talking about the, uh, the oil market. If you weren't paying attention to what was happening in the oil market today, the front month, the spot month, was the uh, May contract. The May contract expired today, or I think it expires tomorrow. I'm not sure technically. Maybe this was the last real day of trading in the May futures contract. And when the day started, I think the contract was just a little under $20 a barrel. You know, we got down to like $18 a barrel on uh, on Friday. I mentioned that in my Friday podcast. Anyway, the price started to collapse and it eventually got down to below a dollar. And as soon as it was below a dollar, I was thinking, wait a minute, it looks like the price of oil is going to go negative here. I mean, we've got negative interest rates, so uh, we might as well have negative oil prices. I guess that's not impossible. And no sooner did I tweet that out, uh, but then the market went negative. And in fact, the oil market for May delivery settled, I think, at about negative $37 a barrel. The low on the day was negative $40 a barrel, not positive $40 a barrel, where we were a month ago, but negative $40 a barrel, meaning that you didn't buy oil for $40 a barrel. If you had oil and you wanted to get rid of it, you had to pay somebody $40 a barrel to take the oil off your hands. Uh, so in other words, oil is like garbage, right? You have to pay the garbage man to come collect your garbage. Uh, now, if you have oil, uh, you got to pay somebody to get rid of it because, you know, oil needs to be stored. That is the problem. All the storage facilities are full. There is no place to put the oil. And apparently there's still a lot of oil on the way. You got tankers full of oil coming to the United States and there's no place to put it and there's no demand to use it. So the price of oil is imploding. And, you know, of course, 
One of the main reasons that we have so much oil is that supply and demand really wasn't working thanks to the Fed because the Fed kept interest rates artificially low and that enabled a lot of U.S. shale oil companies to keep producing oil even though they were actually losing money uh, on the, the oil, uh, they were still producing it so that they can service their debt uh, because they still needed revenue. And because interest rates were so low for so long, a lot of these oil companies stayed in business and kept pumping. In fact, they're still pumping, even though the oil they're pumping at this point is, is worth, not only worth zero, you have to pay to get rid of it. So again, this is the Federal Reserve had paid a large role in the fact that we have such a glut of oil. And obviously the solution right now is to stop producing oil. The market is actually telling oil producers, don't produce any oil because the oil you're producing has a negative value because we don't need it and we have no place to put it. I mean, I don't know, maybe pretty soon people are going to start emptying out their swimming pools so that they can store oil, right? I mean, oil, a, a contract of oil is for a thousand barrels. There's 42 <clears throat> gallons of oil in a barrel. So that means each contract is 42,000 barrels, which I think you could fit that in your backyard swimming pool. I think an Olympic-sized swimming pool holds about maybe 15 uh, barrels of of the equivalent of oil, I guess, could, could fit in there if it's the same volume as, as the water. Um, but, I mean, who wants to fill their swimming pool up with, uh, up with oil? You know, I saw somebody joking on Twitter that maybe we could use all of the empty WeWork uh, office space to store all this oil. But the problem is, you know, you can't store oil in, in an office. I mean, you need a certain, uh, you know, type of container to, to keep all that oil. So the price has collapsed. Now, Obviously, the further out months are not down to negative numbers. If you look at oil for June delivery, uh, oil is still $21.36 if you want to buy it for June delivery. The problem is that contract's going to expire uh, next month uh, in, you know, in May. And I don't know, I would be pretty nervous if I was holding on to one of those contracts because what if nothing has changed over the next three or four weeks? I mean, remember all the oil that's out there. I mean, we're not really going to use it all up in the next three to four weeks. Who's going to take all this oil in three to four weeks? I mean, what happens if the same thing that just happened to the May contract happens to the June contract? That means you have a lot of risk from a positive 21 to a negative 40. That means you can lose $60 a barrel. I mean, whoever thought that you could lose more than 100% of the price of oil, right? If you owned a May contract uh, yesterday and you thought, well, what's my downside risk? I mean, how low can oil go? I mean, could it go to zero? You probably didn't even think that was possible. Yet it went to negative $40 a barrel. You know, I can imagine too, some of the losses, even among hedgers, obviously speculators, you know, they, they lose money, right? You're gambling on the price of oil. You buy an oil futures contract. You have no intention of taking delivery, right? You're just a speculator. Uh, and now, of course, you're stuck taking delivery unless you get rid of your contract. Because if you keep your contract, you're going to get delivered. Because a lot of the shorts, right, they're, they're just going to deliver that oil. Because uh, if they, they don't need it, so they're going to try to deliver it. Because somebody ultimately has to take that oil. 
uh, a lot of the speculators just figured, look, I'm just going to cash out. I don't, I'm like, I don't want the oil. I'm just going to settle out. But now you have all this pressure because you have a lot of longs that, you know, uh, or short that want to deliver the oil. They need somebody to take it. They need to physically deliver the oil that they don't need. So the speculators are losing money. But what about the actual users, the consumers of oil? who hedged into the market. They knew they needed some oil. And so they went out and they bought some oil for delivery uh, in, in April, right? The May contract, they were going to take delivery. And they thought they were going to need it. That was pre-coronavirus. Now they don't need it. They don't have any room to put it because they have more oil than they need because they're not using the oil they thought they were going to use. So what do they do? They don't want it. So now they have to try to sell the contract. They were planning on taking delivery, but now they got to sell it. Sell it to who? Nobody wants it. And so you're having to pay a tremendous amount of money to get out of these commitments. And so now people who thought they were hedging in oil are actually losing money on their hedges. I mean, it's one thing if you're speculating, you lose money. You're not supposed to lose money on your hedges. You're supposedly hedging to reduce your risk, not hedging and then all of a sudden getting hit with risk. So there is tremendous losses or are tremendous losses going on. Obviously, whoever's short oil, if you were short to make contract, you cleaned up and you made more than you could have imagined possible because you sold your oil at some positive number and now you can close out that contract because if you're short oil you can afford to buy in fact the only ones that probably can buy are the shorts because then you don't have to take delivery because you're just netting out to zero it's you how do you buy it if you're if you don't have a short to cover because now that means you got to take delivery of the oil which you don't want because where are you going to put it so this again, this is a major, major problem. But of course, the markets really seem to be ignoring this. I mean, not really appreciating the significance. Oh, and by the way, I wanted to mention there's a, uh, a, a ETF that owns oil. USO is the symbol. This thing was down a 10% today to $3.75 a barrel. Uh, the 52 week high was $13.85. So you're already down better than 70% on this, uh, on this contract or on this uh, ETF. But the ETF owns a bunch of futures contracts. The ETF doesn't have a bunch of oil that it's storing in a facility somewhere. What they do is they roll these contracts. And so this ETF is sitting with a bunch of contracts now that expire in a few weeks. And what if what just happened in May happens in the June contract? I mean, who knows where this thing is going to go? The price of this thing could crash uh, well below a dollar a barrel. I mean, a lot of investors are about to get clobbered uh, in in that ETF uh, because they're rolling futures contracts. They probably don't even appreciate what they own or that any of this was even possible. But the bigger issue is why is the market ignoring this? So the Dow was down just under 600 points today, 592 points. Of course, the oil stocks were among the weakest, but they were only down like 4%, 4 or 5%. It wasn't really that bad. And some were, were down less than that. I mean, the, the big loser in the Dow was Boeing percentage-wise, was down 6.75%. Uh, but this is not that big a down day. I mean, we've had much bigger down days before, considering, I think, what's going on in the oil market. This should be a bigger down day. Uh, the S&P was only down 1.8%. The, um, the NASDAQ down 1.2%. That's barely down. A Russell 2000 only down about 1.3%. In fact, the banks... A lot of the banks are sitting on a lot of this bad energy debt, right? All these oil companies obviously can't pay their bills. But I think we actually had a 
And, uh, no, not quite. It was about flat. I thought it was the index, the uh, regional bank index was slightly positive going into the close. Ended up down a couple of ticks, about a quarter of 1%. So barely a decline in, uh, in, in, in uh, the banking stocks. But given what's happening, the reason that nobody wants any oil is because nobody's using it. We're not going anywhere. People are staying at home. They're not going to work. They're not going out. They're not traveling. The flights, the planes aren't flying. So obviously, we're not using oil. I mean, we normally use a lot of oil in the United States. I mean, we have a lot of people that commute to work. Right? A lot of other countries don't have that. I mean, people take public transportation. Uh, but in America, a lot of people live far from their home. And we drive a lot in the United States. We use a lot of oil normally. But now we're, you know, we're quarantined or, uh, in, in our homes. And we're not driving. And, but the fact that oil is collapsing this much shows you that the GDP is imploding by a much bigger factor than anybody realizes. And that means corporate earnings are going to implode by an even bigger amount than anybody realizes. How are stocks still trading at this level? Given how weak this economy is and how long it's going to take to recover. And again, it's not going to recover to where it was. The best case scenario is we recover into a recession. We're not going to get back to the bubble. We're just going to get back to a recession if we get out of this depression. Uh, but even if we, we do that, how can the stock market be this high? <clears throat> again, the only thing that's keeping the stock market afloat is the Fed. If it wasn't for the Fed printing all this money and buying up all these bonds that would be you know, going into default, the market would be imploding. The question is, is the Fed preventing the market from imploding or just delaying the implosion? Is it going to happen anyway, despite the Fed? Or you know, is the Fed going to have to really step up the, uh, the money printing and, and, and you know, buy even more uh, securities and actually start buying stocks? They haven't actually done that yet. They're buying the debt instruments of companies and they're buying junk bonds but I don't know that they're actually buying the stocks yet. So they still have that, right? They can still pull that out of their butts, right? To start uh, start buying the actual stocks itself. And I wouldn't uh, put that past them because they've already said they're going to do whatever it takes. So they're going to try whatever they can do to try to keep this house of cards from imploding. But of course, the more they try, the worse they make it because all they're doing is printing all this money. And I know people are going to say, you see, this is deflation. You see, oil prices are crashing. This is deflation. This is not deflation. This is demand for oil going down. Remember, inflation has to do with the expansion of the money supply. But even as the money supply expands, right, to the extent that it pushes prices up, you're looking at all prices, right, the general price level. Now, as prices are going up, right, some prices could be falling while other prices are rising. So the general price level can go up even if the specific prices of certain goods or services are going down. It just gets offset by the increases in the prices that are going up. So it's certainly possible based on changing supply and demand. If nobody wants oil because nobody is driving and nobody is working, yes, the price of oil can come down. But other prices can go up. And in fact, even when you're using oil, even if the oil itself is cheaper, right, you still have a lot of costs 
between the oil and the end user. You got the transportation, you got the storage. I mean, there's a lot of other things that have to happen that bleed into it. And even if you think, well, oil goes into transportation costs, yes, but those companies that are transporting goods, oil is not their only cost. And oil could be going down, but other costs that they have to pay to deliver merchandise can be going up. And so you can't just say, oh, look, this is deflation because one price is going down. Look, prices are determined by supply and demand on an individual basis. Inflation, when you have a rise in consumer prices, it's a broad based uh, rise in the general level of prices. But within that, prices can be falling. Look, look at the prices of computers or cell phones or flat screen TVs, right? All those prices are going down. They're going down a lot, yet the CPI is still going up despite big drops in electronic prices because that's just one price, right, that, that, that's affecting it. So oil is just one price. Yes, it's a big price. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. But what difference does it make if the price of oil has gone down a lot and I'm not driving anywhere? I mean, does it actually help me? that oil prices have gone down. I mean, if I'm not buying oil, what difference does it make what the price is if I'm not buying any, right? People say, oh, you know, you can get an airline ticket to Europe really cheap. Okay, but nobody wants to go. What's the point of going there? Where are you gonna go? The whole place is on lockdown and who wants to get on a plane and risking getting the coronavirus? So it doesn't matter that it doesn't cost me a lot of money to buy a ticket that I'm not gonna buy. What difference does it make? It could be $10,000 or it could be free. If I'm not gonna go on the plane, it doesn't matter what the price of the ticket is. So what actually matters is the price of the things that you are actually buying, not the price of the things that you're not buying. It doesn't even matter why you're not buying it. If you're not buying it, who cares? But the price of the things that people are buying, those prices are going up. Meanwhile, the, the fact that we're using less oil means that we're producing less stuff. See, a lot of that oil went into the production process. So it, we produce things using that oil, right? Well, if we're not using that oil, that means we're not producing those things. And so what happens to the price of that stuff that we're no longer making? It has to go up because we don't have any of it anymore because we didn't produce it. Right? And if we didn't produce it, you can't consume it. So oil prices can go down in an inflationary environment. Do not get fooled by what you're seeing in the oil market. Now, of course, the Federal Reserve is going to get fooled. The Fed's going to be thinking, oh, oh, yeah, we can print all this money now. Look, look, we can offset the weak oil price because we can print more money because there's no inflation. Because look at oil prices. Instead of looking at why oil prices are going down. It's not like we're now so efficient in producing oil. It's just no one is buying it. And because no one is buying it, nobody is making anything that requires the use of that energy. And so that is inflationary from the standpoint that we're reducing the supply of goods and services that are available in the market to buy. At the same time, we're printing all this money and handing it out 
and people are using that to buy stuff. And of course, in the long run, oil is not going to stay down here, right? What is going to happen uh, to the oil market, right? The producers are going to go bankrupt. Now, they would have gone bankrupt a long time ago, uh, and that would have been better, but they were kept afloat by the Fed. And they're still being kept afloat by the Fed, but they're going to sink, right? These companies are going to fail. I mean, I know I invested in some of these companies years ago, right? I, I know from experience, right, that these were bad investments. These ended up being malinvestments, right? And the Fed made it all possible. A lot of people didn't know early on when the fracking story was new and it sounded very exciting and, hey, let's take a shot at this. But we actually bought into a bill of goods. It didn't really work. Now, the Federal Reserve camouflaged it for a while. They, they maintained the illusion uh, because these companies stayed in business and they kept pumping and pumping and pumping. And yes, the industry was employing people and it temporarily reduced our trade deficit because we were able to produce oil uh, at a high cost uh, based on a lot of debt, but without any ability. The industry had no ability to withstand uh, this type of decline, right? The oil companies that are going to end up on top are the companies that weren't all levered up, that have the good fields, the good oil that they could produce at a lower cost. They are going to clean up. Right. Once the dust settles, once all these uh, high cost American companies go out of business, they're going to be left to pick up the pieces and they're going to make a lot of money in the future uh, in the oil market. But we're, a lot of people are going to lose a lot of money right now in the present in in the oil market. So long term, oil prices are going to go up because there's going to be a lot less supply in the future when people want to buy oil. And the same thing is going to happen to a lot of these other prices that are down. Yes, right now, if you want to fly on an airplane, th the tickets are pretty cheap. But doesn't matter because no one wants to go anywhere. Well, eventually, these airlines are going to go bankrupt. They're going to consolidate. And the ones that don't go bankrupt are going to reduce dramatically the uh, flights that are available. You know, you know, and I wonder too what happens. I mean, if some of these airlines, I mean, it's a PR situation. I got a lot of frequent flyer miles myself that I haven't used yet. I just haven't, you know, cashed. I got millions and millions of miles uh, that I haven't used. And I'm wondering if some of these companies that are going to go bankrupt, you're just going to lose all these miles if you still have them. Uh, because at some point, you know, if the airlines have too many miles outstanding and everybody is flying on free tickets, uh, that, you know, they, they can't even survive. So who knows uh, what's going to happen to these frequent flyer programs. But what I do know is that at the end of the day, the airlines are going to be smaller and they're not going to have as many planes, right? Or as many flights. So in the future, if you actually want to travel, because, you know, the coronavirus maybe is in the past and people want to go to Europe again or wherever they're traveling, it's going to be real expensive, much more expensive than it was before the coronavirus because you're going to have far fewer flights to choose from, right? Let's say, you know, even New York to LA, whatever. I'm not sure how many flights are going every day in that market, but let's say 80%, 90% of the flights are gone. So now you don't have as many times to choose from. And of course, there's a lot more demand now relative to supply. And so the airline companies will be able to charge a lot more money uh, to buy a ticket. So ultimately, uh, all of these 
uh, low prices are, are going to go away. And, you know, there's a lot of retailers now that are about to go bankrupt. And you'll probably be able to get some pretty good prices on all these going out of business sales from all these retailers. Uh, but once they're out of business, once the capacity is gone, and again, the big thing is going to be the dollar. Once the dollar collapses, then that's it. Prices are going are gonna to go crazy. It hasn't happened yet, but they're going to happen. And, you know, I think what happened today in the, uh, in the oil market, this is actually a pretty good lesson, I think, uh, for what may happen. In fact, what I think will happen soon in the gold market, only in reverse. See, what happened again in the oil market, the oil longs did not want physical oil. They didn't need it. They didn't have any place to put it. But the shorts tried to deliver it. And the longs don't want it. And so now they have to unload their contract. Otherwise, they're obligated to take delivery, right? If you are still long on when, it, when, it, when the contract closes out, anyone who's still long, you're getting that oil. I mean, the, the trucks are going to show up someplace at your house somewhere with all the oil you owned asking you where you want it put, right? So if you don't want all that oil, you got to sell your contract. And obviously, you know, people were making you pay through the nose almost $40 a barrel uh, to unload that oil so that you wouldn't have to figure out where to put it. So this was a phenomenon of the futures market where instead of taking, you know, settling out your contracts in cash, you have longs who are being forced to accept delivery. The opposite is going to happen in gold. And I've been talking about this. I've been warning about this for years on my podcast. And I think this is going to happen. So what's going to happen is you have a lot of people who are long gold futures contract, right? Each COMEX contract, just like oil is a thousand barrels of oil, it's a hundred ounces of gold, right? 100 ounce bar. So you go in there and you buy uh, a, a contract of gold, right? You are able to take delivery of a 100 ounce bar. Now, normally the longs don't take delivery. They just roll their contract over to another month, right? And the shorts are obligated to deliver the gold, right? Somebody is buying gold. Somebody has to be selling it to them. But a lot of the short sellers, they don't actually own any gold. They're just betting that the price of gold goes down. Right. So uh, they they sell gold. They sell a contract. Right. Now, obviously, there can be companies that are hedging. Right. Gold companies that are producing gold. They sell their gold contracts because they want to deliver uh, that physical gold. Now, first of all, it's possible that some of these gold companies didn't produce as much gold as they thought they were because maybe their workers were out sick. And so they don't even have the gold to deliver because they didn't produce it either. But we know the speculators don't have any gold to deliver because they never intended to have any gold. They were just gambling. And of course, they count on the fact that a lot of the buyers, they don't want the physical metal either because after all, where are they going to put it, right? They got to store it just like you have to store oil, except storing gold is not nearly as difficult as storing oil, right? I can store a hundred ounce uh, bar of gold in my underwear drawer. I mean, it's, it's small, right, for that value. And so, you know, people can you know, put it someplace. It's not like oil. And I think what's going to happen, given that there's a shortage of physical gold out there and silver too, but obviously gold is a lot easier to store than silver. I mean, silver is still much easier to store uh, than, than, than oil, but what I think is going to happen is the longs in gold, 
right? Instead of just rolling over their long contract to another contract, I think they're going to give notice to the COMEX that they want their gold. And in fact, I think that what may be happening right now, given the shortage in the physical market, is that physical buyers are entering the market through the futures market. They are buying futures with the intention of taking delivery because it's hard to get the physical gold. And they figure, okay, well, I'll just buy it on a COMEX and I'm entitled uh, to my gold. So what's going to happen is that the longs are now going to say, I want my gold. Well, the shorts don't have any gold. So now the shorts have to deliver gold that they don't have, right? So this is the opposite of the longs being forced to take possession, delivery of oil that they don't want. Now the shorts have to deliver gold that they don't have. Now, how are they going to go out and get the gold? They have to go into the physical market and buy it. But, but there is no gold. There's not enough of it. So now the price of gold has to go ballistic in order for some of the people who have physical gold to sell it to these uh, futures guys who are short, who are now desperately searching for gold so they can honor their commitment to deliver what they sold. So when it comes to oil, right, because everybody wanted out, the price of oil collapsed and it went negative. So now if what I'm talking about happens in the gold market, then the price of gold is going to soar. It's going to go ballistic, right? And if you thought what was crazy today, I mean, this is totally out of, you know, uh, a movie to think that oil could go to negative $40 a barrel. Well, if oil can go to negative $40 a barrel in one day, couldn't gold go to $5,000 in one day? I mean, what makes more sense? I mean, if I'd have said something, let's say a year ago, and I said, hey, what, here's two things that might possibly happen uh, on this day in, in, in May. And they didn't tell you anything else. I said, here, you tell me what's more likely, that the price of oil is going to go to negative $40 a barrel or that the price of gold is going to go to 5000 How many people, if you didn't know anything, would have just said, yeah, I think oil's got a better chance of going to negative 40 than gold has to 5000 Because you would have put the odds that oil going to negative 40 as impossible, right? I mean, you would have thought, yeah, it's very unlikely that gold's going to go to 5000 but at least that seems possible, right? You would think of, of a scenario in your mind where the price of gold could go to 5000 right? But who would have thought of any scenario where the price of oil would be negative $40 a barrel? You'd have to pay somebody $40 to take a barrel of oil off your hands. I don't think anybody would have thought that was possible. Even though now you could see, right, it makes a lot of sense, but you wouldn't have thought, who would have thought that the whole economy, the whole global economy would ever shut down to the extent that it has to make something that seemed impossible actually make sense, which is what it does. But my point is, if this can happen in the oil market, it can happen in the gold market. It makes perfect sense that this could happen in the gold market. I mean, this has been an accident waiting to happen in the futures market for a long time. And this is the ideal circumstance where this could happen. And if you think maybe that the Russians and the Chinese are somehow plotting to destroy the U.S. economy and they're deliberately helping to crash the oil price, which look, maybe it's a coincidence that they decided to throw out uh, the OPEC agreement and pump all this oil 
uh, and we have a pandemic uh, with the coronavirus, maybe it's just a coincidence, or maybe they basically picked their spot and said this would be the perfect time to completely decimate the U.S. oil industry, especially, you know, Donald Trump is out there bragging about how great the oil industry is, how we have the greatest economy ever, and they can destroy that industry. And they know that our industry is a house of cards. We're actually cheating with all of our cheap money and, and what the Fed is doing. So maybe they actually got together, and this is not an accident, that this is by design. This is uh, OPEC or Russia taking advantage of a crisis, just like Congress is taking advantage of this crisis to grab more power and to spend more money and to, and to suspend our, our, our rights and our liberties. Maybe uh, Saudis or Russia said, hey, this is when the U.S. is really vulnerable, the U.S. oil industry, so let's take advantage of that. Let's like really kick them when they're down. Well, maybe they're not just thinking about oil. Maybe they realize that we have an even greater vulnerability with the U.S. dollar, right? That, that's really our Achilles heel, right? The oil market is one thing. The dollar is our bread and butter, right? The U.S. dollar as the reserve currency, that's everything and everything for the U.S. economy. So one way to break the dollar is to soar gold, to make gold go way up. So maybe it's a one-two punch, right? First, they're going to knock down the price of oil, and then they're going to knock up the price of gold through the futures market, through the same thing, taking physical delivery of gold. Because when gold goes up 2,000, 3,000, 4,000, 5,000, which currency is going to be most affected by that price rise in gold? And that's going to be the dollar. And the reason that is, is because the dollar competes with gold as a reserve asset, right? We have the main reserve currency in the world. And so the dollar is the main competitor to gold. So other currencies, if the gold price is rising in those currencies, yes, I mean, for their own citizens, it's a big deal and they can see that they're losing purchasing power. But from the banking system, from financial markets, it's not a big deal. But when you are competing with gold as the reserve currency and all of a sudden gold is skyrocketing, you're in a lot of trouble if you're issuing the reserve currency, right? So because a strong gold, I mean, not just strong, gold prices soaring is an indication of a loss of confidence in the U.S. dollar. Because after all, if the price of gold is soaring in dollars, what that means is that the global community prefers gold as a storage, as a safe haven, right? As a reserve asset, right? They're buying gold and not the dollar, which is bad news for the dollar and for the U.S. because we depend on that, right? Our whole trade deficit is paid for by printing dollars. Well, if nobody wants those dollars, because you don't need the dollars uh, to buy our exports because we have a big deficit. So the dollars are only recirculated to buy financial assets, mainly because the dollar is the reserve currency. And by the way, the main use for dollars is oil, right? Oil is traded in dollars. Well, the price of oil has collapsed. You don't need nearly as many dollars to buy oil as you used to. A, you're not buying much oil, and B, the oil you're buying is dirt cheap. So you don't have a lot of demand for the petrodollar right now, uh, so that is already gone. Uh, but to the extent that the dollar crashes because gold going up is you know, the canary in that coal mine and the dollar tanks, well, then all those imports go away. 
right? We can't afford to import anything anymore because nobody wants our dollars. Then this whole idea that there's a dollar shortage out there, as I said, this shortage is going to turn into a glut. It's the same thing I mentioned uh, on my podcast on Friday about the housing market. When you have Diana Olick on CNBC saying there's a housing shortage, there's not enough houses. There's millions and millions of houses. They're just not on the market yet. They're just not for sale yet. What happens when people that don't have a sale sign on their lawn suddenly put a for sale sign? Then all of a sudden there's a lot of supply. Then there's a glut. That's what happened in 2008, 2006, seven, whatever. Houses that weren't for sale, all of a sudden were for sale. And so you went from an undersupplied market to an oversupplied market almost overnight. And the same thing is gonna happen here. You're gonna have a glut of uh, homes and no one to buy them. The same thing's gonna happen with dollars, just like what's happening with oil, right? You have all this oil now and nobody wants it. So the price is imploding. Well, what happens when nobody wants the dollar? I mean, you don't need the dollar to buy our exports because we have a huge deficit. So we are exporting $50 billion a month uh, that the world doesn't need to buy American products. So if they don't wanna use that money to buy our bonds, then what are they gonna do with it? Right, the dollar is going to crash just like the oil price crashed. And what could be the catalyst for that would be a surge in the price of gold in dollars that really sends a message and a warning sign that there is a big problem here because the, the gold value of the dollar is plunging, which means a loss of confidence in the dollar and the fiat-based system. And then everybody is moving back to, to a gold standard. And so... What I would say, I think the, the lesson from what happened today in the gold market, in rather in the oil market, is to be prepared for some similar event to happen in another market. And the most likely one is gold and silver on the long side. So how do you play this? Well, obviously you could buy futures contracts, but I wouldn't want to do it that way because you know what might happen? The, the COMEX could go bankrupt. The, the, the longs may never deliver. I don't even know, you know, I'm starting to get worried about these ETFs because a lot of money has been flowing into like GLD, right? And supposedly they're buying the gold with all this new money coming in, but what if they're not? I mean, where are they getting all this gold? What if it's not actually there? I'm actually getting a little nervous now that they don't actually have it. So I, I don't even, you know, I think that you gotta own your own gold now. You can't take a chance on a third party that may not even have the gold that he claims to have. You gotta have it in your own name. You can have it stored as long as it's, you know, in a, you know not in a, a, a leverage ETF. You gotta have something uh, more physical than that. You can have it stored with gold money. I think you can have it at the Perth Mint where we have some gold, which I think is fine. But some of these ETFs, I mean, who the hell knows if they actually have the money. But the problem is gonna be in a futures contract, you may not get gold. So I think the thing to do is either actually buy the physical now, buy it, own it, take delivery or have it stored, but it's your gold. You're not buying into a, into a product uh, that supposedly has gold. You're buying the actual metal. But I think even bigger, the bigger money right now, as I've been saying, is in the gold mining stocks, right? They're the ones that are gonna make a ton of money when the price of gold goes way up. I mean, it's not just going to go up temporarily. You know, like the oil price, I think, is down temporarily. I think the gold prices are going to go up and stay up. Demand is just going to keep on going because once the dollar implodes and once the world goes back to a gold standard, which is what's coming, it's so obvious. It's amazing that people can't see this. 
But a lot of central banks are going to have to keep buying gold. They don't own enough of it. They're going to have to buy more of it. Now, of course, a rising price of gold helps solve the problem of central banks not having enough gold because then the value of the gold they do have is a lot more valuable. But they're going to be buying more. And then investors are going to be buying gold. I mean, there's hardly any investment demand for gold. That hasn't been there. Uh, that's going to return. Uh, and of course, they're still going to use gold you know, in industry. I mean, they're still going to put it in a cell phone. I mean, it's not like if the price of gold goes up five times, they can't afford it because it's still a small part of the price of the phone. Now, obviously, jewelry, gold jewelry is going to get more expensive. Uh, so you know, fewer people will buy 18-carat jewelry. Maybe they buy 14-carat jewelry. Uh, but they're still going to buy it. And if it's more expensive, well, you're just going to maybe buy a smaller chain, a thinner chain right, with less gold in it. But people aren't going to stop buying jewelry. So the, the real demand is going to be there no, regardless of the price. But the investment demand is going to go up with the rising price. The central bank demand is going to go up. So people are still haven't figured out what's about to happen in, in the gold market. So the stocks have so much upside potential, these gold stocks. So again, it's uh, the gold fund. My fund is Europe Pacific Gold Fund. Uh, that I think is the best gold fund out there. Of course, I'm biased because it's my fund. But again, I don't even manage it. I I was smart enough to hire Adrian Day to do that because I realized it's a very, very specialized uh, field to understand these smaller mining companies. I I understand the big ones, uh, but you have to really get down in the in, in, in the dirt there and, and really know the management teams and, and know and know the know the projects and know all this stuff to really know which of these small ones you want to invest in. So I think Adrian's doing a really good job of vetting these companies and creating a really good portfolio uh, for me and for my clients who are investing in the fund or who have separately managed accounts at Europe Pacific Capital that Adrian is managing for you, where you just own the stocks in your own name, not as part of a fund. If you're a smaller investor, you know you can go directly to uh, my website at europepacificfunds.com, read a prospectus, make sure you understand the risks, and then you can just buy it. You can talk to the brokers at Europe Pacific Capital. Uh, or you could buy the, my funds at Schwab, E-Trade, Fidelity, different places. Just check, make sure you find uh, my my mutual funds on the platform. But you know, this is going to happen, I think. I mean, this is a huge wake-up call. Today's move in oil really tells you what's possible. Because what we just witnessed today, nobody could have even imagined that anything like this could happen. But now it actually makes sense that it's happening. Well, right now, nobody could possibly imagine gold going to $5,000 an ounce in a single day. Well, you know what? <laughs> no one could imagine oil going to negative 40 so it could easily happen. And even if it doesn't go to 5,000, what if it just goes to 2,000? Or what if it goes to 3,000? I mean, they're not even going to open these gold stocks. They're going to be locked all day long. You won't be able to find any sellers. It'll be impossible to buy them. It's like if you wait for gold to go up that much, you won't be able to buy these stocks. I mean, the prices will be ridiculous. So before that happens, right, if I'm right, you got to load up. I mean, what if I'm wrong? What's the downside in these stocks? Where are they going? I mean, look at how much money the Fed is printing. Look at how much money they're about to print. I mean, the, the, the upside potential so dwarfs the downside risk when it comes to uh, gold right now. Oh, and by the way, uh, Bitcoin, I might as well mention Bitcoin. Bitcoin down again today. You know, it, it was able to rally over the weekend. It got up to, I don't know, maybe 7,300, 7,400. I forget how high it got. But as I'm recording this, it's back below 6,900. I mean, Bitcoin cannot hold a rally, right? Anytime there's a rally in Bitcoin, there is somebody selling into it, right? There is major supply overhanging this market. Even though we're about to have this halving, right? Where everybody says, oh, the supply is going to go down. There is a supply of Bitcoin for sale. People are looking to unload it. 
And, you know, right now they're patient and they're selling into the rallies. But at some point, they're going to just have to sell into the dips because there's going to be no more rallies. Uh, and so before this happens, uh, start selling. I guess the good news when it comes to Bitcoin is there's no real reason that the price of Bitcoin would ever go negative. So at least if you're a Bitcoin hodler, at least you got that going for you, right? I mean, the worst case scenario is your Bitcoin goes to zero. You're not going to have to worry about having to pay somebody to take your Bitcoins off your hands uh, because you don't actually have to store your Bitcoins. You could just forget about them uh, like basically I did. I mean, I have some Bitcoin that I can't get any access to because I don't know the, the password, but it's not costing me any money not to have them. So that, that's, the, that's a small consolation for the people who own Bitcoin. It's not going to be nearly as bad as for the people who own the May contract in crude oil because crude went to negative 40 and the, the worst that you're ever going to see Bitcoin uh, is, is zero. Anyway, that's it for today. Uh, should be a very, very interesting uh, week. Uh, maybe we'll get a much bigger reaction tomorrow uh, to the events that took place today because believe me, based on what just happened today, the markets really haven't reacted at all. And I was talking last week on the podcast. I didn't trust that rally. I didn't think it's a new bull market. It was a bear market rally. There's too much negatives. Yes, I get the Fed and I get QE and 0% rates, but that's all the market's got. Yes, it's a powerful ally when you have a Fed with a massive printing press. Uh, but ultimately, uh, the, the market forces may overwhelm the Fed, at least in the short run, before they crank up the presses again to try to engineer another rally. But at some point, the dollar is going to collapse and take that, uh, that, that tool away from the Fed. Because ultimately, when the dollar collapses, it doesn't matter how much money the Fed could print if the money they're printing doesn't buy anything. 